So we're reading this morning um, from St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his first letter to the Corinthians, um, chapter 1, sorry, chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, from the New International Version. That's chapter 2, 1 to 5. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Well, thank you to Liz for bringing us the reading this morning. Didn't she do a great job? Well, this morning... We're going to just dive into this passage quickly. And, uh, you know, something I really value, and I think that we've lost sight of valuing as the church, is the importance of simple Christianity. The importance of simple Christianity. And I think this passage addresses it so very well. And this morning, as we we dive into this passage, I think we've got a great opportunity just to reflect on that fact. A moment ago, I spoke to you about what will you stand for. And I think we... We want to keep asking ourselves that question as we consider the passage this morning. And so as we as we spend a few moments this morning, let's just really be reflecting on that. But I'm going to pray for us just as we dive into our sermon this morning. So would you bow your heads with me and we'll just take a moment in prayer. Father God, we pray that you would help us to consider, earnestly consider, what it is that we are called to as Christians. What it is we are called to as your people. What it is that we're called to in following you. Father, we thank you that we don't have to be the most eloquent, although some are. We thank you that we don't have to be the most extroverted, though we may be. We thank you that we don't have to be the most winsome. But it doesn't hurt when we are. But Father, we thank you that our simple faith, faith in you, faith shared, has power because of who you are. And as we answer for ourselves this morning what it means what it means to put you first, to know you more fully, 
to answer that question, what will we stand for? And what does it look like to really follow? We thank you that you are good and you are God. And we pray that you'd help us to just hear and see you more fully. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this morning, I want to break this down into just three thoughts for us. First of all, it talks here about the purposes of God. We hear that, that this message is a simple message. We hear about the power of God, and that's what we rely on. We rely on the power of God. But we're also called to proclaim who God is. Trusting in his spirit and truth. So my three points are his spirit and truth, the power of God, and our responsibility to share who he is. I realized this morning as I was just going over my notes, I've kind of worked my sermon back to front. I don't know if you've ever had one of those kind of revelations when you realize I kind of started at the bottom of the passage and I'm working my way up to the top because the key point you need to take away to think on yourselves is this last point about proclaiming all you stand for. What does it look like for you to stand for Christ? So the passage talks at the end here, and I'm just going to read it for you again. It talks about coming in weakness and in fear and trembling. That the speech and the message were not plausible words of wisdom, but a demonstration of the spirit and of God's power. That our faith might not rest on ourselves, but in the power of God. And I think that is the greatest challenge to us all as Christians. And actually, I'd like to say to me personally, I find this is something I wrestle with. Recognizing the power of God, the sufficiency of God, trusting in the grace and the goodness of God for all that we need. Isn't that just the basis of faith? Trusting in the goodness, the provision, and the purposes of God. This is our greatest challenge. Our greatest challenge, I believe, is to truly believe everything that God says about himself and about us. You see, sometimes people will get a really good grasp on one of those two things. They'll get a really good grasp on trusting that God is who he says he is. I mean, for me, that's always felt like the easier sell. You say to somebody, well, God is this, that, and the other. And I know that that's not true for everybody, because if that was true for everybody, I suspect we probably wouldn't have atheists. <laughs> you see, for some people, the, the, the toughest thing to believe in is the unknown, the unseeable, the unsearchable, to learn to listen for the still, small voice of God. To recognize God as more than just a benevolent power in the universe, but our heavenly father. You see, many people believe in a God. But not everybody who prays even knows God themselves. 
I was shocked at the start of this pandemic that just goes on and on. <laughs> Is anyone else feeling a bit like that? I mean, this week I was watching the news and they started talking about Delta variants and then Delta Plus, and it sounded more like gym memberships to me than anything else, and I just want to know how to trade back down to the basic plan because that was already more than I could handle. I mean, in, in light of the first year, it would be so easy to question the power and the goodness of God. I was shocked at the start of the first lockdown to hear that people, more people in our country were praying than at any other point. I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? But based on the number of Christians in our country, you can therefore do the maths pretty simply and work out that there are a bunch of people praying to an unknown God because they don't believe in Jesus Christ. And how often do we come to the Lord in prayer when we're struck with a great challenge, great heartache, great uncertainty? Lots of people want to believe that there's a God that they can call on when they feel out of control. And the illusion of control has been stretched to its very limits this past year. Even interpreting the guidance can feel like you could probably get a, an undergrad degree in these days. As you try and work out what the right thing to do is in any given circumstance, working out how to to recognize the truth, how to best follow the, the good guidance is a challenge. One that we have to rise to, to do our best with. But you see, this passage talks about spirit and truth, spirit and power. The power of God is something that many people are very quick to believe in when they see. In fact, there are parts of the church that are so consumed by the power of God and their desire to see God at work, it feels like they're beginning to lose touch with who holds that power. Equally, we can find that there are parts of the church on the other end of the spectrum that are so consumed by the word of truth, God's plan and purpose for us, that they get really good at following God in their own strength. They begin to put God in a box because they want to understand all of his ways. And when he does something miraculous, it blows their socks off, but not always in a way that encourages them immediately. Sometimes that takes some time. And I think the key to this is that spirit and truth, word and spirit go hand in hand. You see, when we know God more fully, we know that signs and wonders follow the power and purposes of God. We don't want to chase those things. We're not seeking after those things so much as we're seeking after the author of those miraculous signs and wonders. The author of the word of life. The author and finisher of our faith. You see... We don't want to just see God. We don't want to just know God academically. We want to know God on a heart level. 
Sometimes the church talk about God in a way that makes him seem like our, our dad, in a very matesy kind of way. And we lose something of the authority and the kingship of God. Other times, parts of the church talk about God and his kingdom and his might and his And he just sounds scary. The word of God says that the fear of God is the beginning of understanding. The beginning of understanding. It's almost like God's kind of a complex guy. It's almost like he's been around longer than we have. He knows more than we do. He's better at this than we are. And if we would simply put our faith and hope in him, it doesn't seem like he's going to disappoint. And so we need to learn not to rest in our wisdom, but God's. We need to learn to rest not on our power, but the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to learn to rest in not just convincing one another, convincing ourselves to follow God. Because this is one of the great criticisms of Christendom, that it has become a crutch to the weak because we convince ourselves to follow God out of our own need. But instead, God calls us into abundant life and relationship with him. I see no crutch there. In fact, as we're called to take up our cross and follow Christ daily, denying ourselves for the sake of his glory, his goodness, and ultimately finding his best, his best, not ours. And knowing that his best is truly the best that we will ever know. You know, that sounds a lot like a complicated thing, doesn't it? When you start trying to work out what that all means. And something else I hear in the world again and again is that Christians don't get to really choose for themselves. We're constrained by a list of rules. But you see, when you're choosing to put somebody else first, when you're loving them and preferring them, that's always a good thing. But when that person has your best interests at heart and you're preferring them and they're preferring you and they are leading you because they are the king of heaven and earth and they know everything into an abundant life. That isn't just a good relationship. That's a relationship with your heavenly father. You see, we have an opportunity to have good relationships when we model our relationships on that that we see in the, the word of God when we see God at work. You know, we all know that the best relationships are where we prefer and love one another. When we look at the word of God and it talks about husbands and wives, it says, wives, submit to your husbands. And then to husbands, it says, be prepared to die for your wife. Bit intense, really. (laughs) You see, the thing that we're called to trust in is the power of God. You see, it's not about our eloquence. It's not about whether I deliver a really great sermon this morning. You know, people sometimes think that it's about how well the sermon is delivered, whether or not they get something from it. I don't know about you, but I've definitely fallen into this trap as well, sitting around the lunch table, chatting about pastor's sermon. Oh, did you hear that? Oh, what about that? Oh, I wasn't too sure about that bit. 
But you know, the power of a good sermon isn't really the eloquence. It isn't the delivery. It isn't the illustrations. It is all about God. It's about his word. It's about Jesus and it's about our hearts. You see, if time and again we come away from church saying, you know, I really didn't get anything out of that one. I really hope we start a new sermon series soon. I found personally, those are the times when I need to get my heart in check because the preaching isn't really good or bad. The key thing I have found is whether or not I'm listening for the still small voice of God amidst what is being shared. And I think that's what this passage is talking about. We need to decide to know nothing except Christ and Christ crucified. We need to not be afraid about those times when we think that we're going to do a bad job sharing because we just want to share who Jesus is and why that matters. We need to not worry about the times that we think that we've done our best job. You know, it's really demoralizing as a preacher. I've preached some of my best sermons and got three amens. I've turned up to church feeling terrible, having prayed, oh, Lord, I don't know where this one's even going to go. I feel like this might be the worst sermon ever. And I've had more accolade on the basis of that one than any other before or since. And that isn't me arguing for not preparing your sermon or anyone misunderstands what I'm saying. It's not that we're meant to be ill-prepared, badly prepared so that God can move. It's that it comes down to our hearts, inclining our hearts to the Lord. It comes down to the power of God at work in our lives. It comes down to us choosing to put God first. We want to put God first. And nobody can ultimately talk us into something we don't want to do. You know, I've led children's ministry groups enough times to know that if someone really doesn't want to do something, they're not going to do it. (laughs) I've been around church long enough to know that that's true of the adults as well. (laughs) If you don't want to do it, you're not going to do it. (laughs) And so we rely on the power of God in all that we do. And I think this is tremendously freeing. When we recognize it is all about the restoration power of God at work in our lives and the lives of those around us. That the power of God is not constrained to whether or not it seems plausible that somebody's going to give their life because of this, that or the other. Or whether somebody's going to give us justice when we pray for justice or when we pray for anything, frankly. That it isn't really about whether we're asking for something that seems plausible But the power of God is greater than our very understanding. The person of God is greater than our very understanding. Sometimes I think we begin to buy into the the delusion that if we do a better job of this, that or the other, then this will happen. You know, if I'm really convincing as I appeal to my boss for justice, then he'll give it to me. Well, you're assuming that life is fair and it's built on a meritocracy, and it isn't. Sometimes you might think to yourself, well, I'm assuming that if I 
present the gospel in a way that's utterly compelling, then this person's going to give their life to Christ. And we know that just like children, adults, we're all the same. If we don't want to, we're not going to. You can't convince somebody to give you something that they don't want to. And lastly, if ever you've bought anything from somebody, you'll know that this is true as well. If they say it's £10, say how about £5.50, it's up to them whether or not they say yes. You can't convince them. That's the price. You might be able to discuss it, barter, try and persuade them some. But ultimately... Ultimately, you are at their mercy whether or not they will agree or not. And I think we enter life either thinking, well, God in his amazing power should be able to do this, that and the other. And so I can ask him for outrageous things that serve my purposes rather than his. And I think that's a mistake. Or we enter life thinking, well, I... I needn't ask for anything because I know that they're not likely to give me that. That's unlikely to happen. There's little point sharing my testimony with them. They're the most miserable person in the office. <laughs> and you see, this is why I think we read a passage like my ways and not your ways and we, we miss the point. We miss the point. We use it as an easy get out clause for when we're struggling to understand God at work and we miss the fact that really God's power, God's magnificence, God's wisdom is so otherly to ours. In fact, when we see God's rescue plan for us, wise folly is what the word of God calls it. And Shelby preached on that just a couple of weeks ago, wise folly. Because what seems like wisdom to us doesn't always seem like wisdom to God. And what seems like God's wisdom to us seems utterly foolish at times. The idea that the king of heaven and earth would die in our place, that doesn't seem like very good wisdom to me. I don't know about you. That wouldn't have been my plan. Can you imagine pitching that one to God? Well, I was thinking about it, and you know, basically the only person I can see dying out of all of this that's going to make it all work is Jesus. You wouldn't even bother, would you? <laughs> you see, in short, I think the most important thing for us to recognize here about the power of God, there's no way that we could ever be impressive enough to convince somebody of something outrageous as we would never be able to convince somebody of something so outrageous that God is the king of heaven and earth except by his power. You see, we aren't impressive, God is. And it can become tempting as we get good at being Christians, we get good at being church, to rely on ourselves more and more. To lose focus on his power or to be so consumed by his power we forget his purpose. And we need to remember that God's purpose in our lives is about his purpose, not ours. He came to save, he came to restore. 
And he has come into our lives to present us with his perfect plan for his glory and for our good. And so we've got this opportunity to proclaim who Jesus is. And you know, one of the most amazing things to me, one of the most amazing things to me is that each one of us have a story about how good God is. Each one of us, every single one of us has the opportunity to share that story. We call that our testimony. We've got a testimony to share, a testimony worth sharing. And so we don't need to convince people with complex theology, although there's definitely a place for that. But the story of Christ and Christ crucified and how that's impacted my life, your life, that is the most amazing thing that you can share with another person. And I'm wrapping up here, but just a, a couple of last thoughts. When we learn to recognize the power of God, when we learn to share that simply, relationally, in the context that we're in, when we give God all the glory because God's impressive and we aren't, and when we recognize that God is calling us to live an abundant life, a life that is full of his best for us. When we recognize that we're inviting other people into that as well. It's not a hard sell. It's not a bad thing. It's not that if you would just sacrifice this, that or the other, then perhaps you'll be able to do this. You're not pitching them a gym or a diet. You're presenting them with something that God has done in your life that he desires to do in their life that they can never earn or deserve just as you can't earn or deserve the glory and grace of God. You're inviting them to embrace the truth in their life to live within the abundance of God that this simple faith is what we're giving them an opportunity to hear about and understand for themselves. And whether it's in weakness and fear, whether it's in strength and faith, whether it's in a sense that we really know it and we've got it and we're not bothered at all about sharing our faith because we're old hands at that, or whether that fears, fills us with fear and trepidation, the amazing thing about God is the amazing thing about God is his power, his purpose. You know, that has already gone before us. And if we would simply follow him and his ways, if we would simply share our testimony, if we would give him the glory that he deserves because of who he is, if we would learn to stop resting on our own understanding, our own strength, then we would know. Then we would know that God is every bit as good. Every bit as good. 
as it says in his word. And as our testimony time and again reaffirms. And so this question, what will we stand for, I think, isn't just a question of what feels good to you, what club do you belong to, what church do you belong to, but is bigger than that. Will you share about the God that you know? Will you give testimony about the purposes and the person that you've come to follow? And will you trust in God's goodness and grace with all that you have for all that you need? You see, we could do a big dive into a bunch of theology. We could make this really complicated, but I think actually it's hard enough. It's such a big ask, isn't it, to choose to follow God with all that you are. Sometimes we... I feel like we downplay it. We say, oh, well, if you would just pray this prayer, then you'll know the goodness of God. And if you would just do this, if you would just do that, then you'll be able to to know God and everything will be better. But choosing to live for somebody else, choosing to walk in their ways, let them decide. Choosing to live for an audience of one. Choosing to recognize, come to Jesus moment. That's the challenge to us this morning. That's always been the challenge to us. And actually, it's a challenge that God's grace and mercy are new for every single day. Because we can't do that in our own strength. We can't do that in our own wisdom. We can only do that in the power and grace of Christ. Would you pray with me? And then I'm going to throw over to Shelby and Rachel who are going to lead us in some final worship. Father God, we hear that challenge. We hear that challenge to recognize more fully who you are. We want to know your glory and grace. We want to know your purposes. We want to hear your wisdom, your power, your strength. And we're choosing to follow you We're choosing to follow you. We're choosing to walk in obedience. We're choosing to walk in freedom. We're choosing to walk in the abundant life that you promise us. We're answering your call. Help us to reflect on that question. What will we stand for? And as we know that ultimately what we stand for is you. Help us to more fully recognize that truth. Father, as we pray words like your kingdom come and your will be done. Help us to better recognize what it is that we're asking for. We glorify and bless your name, King Jesus. Amen.